Well, Merry Christmas. Feels a little weird saying that because it's not Christmas Day and there's no snow. I don't think we're going to have a white Christmas this year. I think we're going to have another green Christmas in Michigan. But you know what? I'm kind of not complaining. As I get older, like, I'm okay not having snow every day in winter. This is kind of nice. So this is our Christmas gathering this morning. And I just want to think about this together for a second. Like, today, um, this week, and I, think it's, I think it's accurate to say billions of people will gather in churches just like ours, in churches way different than ours, will gather in homes all across the world to celebrate the birth of a baby boy born over 2,000 years ago. I mean, just ponder the significance of that. Ponder the, the magnitude of that. And this has been going on for centuries. This has been going on for centuries. Every year, the world sort of pauses and orients around the birth of Jesus. We, we orient time around the birth of Jesus. We have all these years that kind of count backwards up to the birth of Christ, B.C., and then we have all the years that start from the birth of Christ. We, we orient our calendars around the birth of a baby boy born 2,000-some years ago. Obviously, this was no ordinary birth, but one of cosmic consequences. And today, we appropriately remind ourselves of this simple, humble, and epic story. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you today, to turn to the book of Matthew. Turn to the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. And uh, as you find it, um, especially uh, for those of you who are reading from uh, uh, a Bible book versus a device, as you, as you find the book of Matthew in your Bible... Um, I want you to find that page that sort of divides the two testaments between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For me, in my Bible, in this Bible, the way it's printed, it's just one page. It's just one page. But you know what? This one page in my Bible between Malachi and Matthew represents 400 years of history. 400 years of history um, where there's no recorded, um, you know, written account of God speaking, of God moving, of prophets prophesying. It, it, it's, we, we call this period, this intertestamental period, um, it's often referred to as the silent years. This one page sort of represents the silent years, where it's like God had gone silent I mean, can anybody, anybody relate to that this morning? Maybe you've had a, a season in your life where, man, I, that kind of describes how I'm feeling right now, um, where, where it feels like God feels sort of distant or disengaged or like he's, he's gone quiet. You know, he, he sort of hit the mute button. I just want you to know this morning before we go any farther, if that's you, if that's what you're feeling or that's, you, you felt that at times, you're not alone. You're not alone, and that's not unique to you. But, but here's the thing I want you to hear this morning and to believe, that God is faithful. God is faithful, and he does and he will break in and break through. This morning's story is evidence of that, where God has sort of 
you know, disengage the mute button. I've, I've been reading a book. Uh, I often pull this book off my shelf this time of year. It's called The Birth. It's by an author named Gene Edwards that you'll never find in most Christian bookstores. He's kind of obscure, sort of a non-traditional, not a mainstream author. Um, but he, he wrote a, a series, um, five books, called The Chronicles of Heaven. And, uh, it, it, you know, it kind of smacks of, you know, maybe C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia or, um, you know, those, those sort of genres. And he wrote this book, this series called The Chronicles of Heaven, and he tells the God story from before creation all the way to the return of Jesus through the eyes of the angels, you know, he, he tries to imagine what the angels might have experienced as they kind of went along with God on this epic adventure and journey um, that we call the scriptures, that, that we call the Bible. And uh, the birth is obviously the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and the story picks up kind of right at the end of those 400 years, right at the end of the silent years of God. And it begins with God calling Michael to the throne in dispatching Michael on a mission, the archangel Michael, you know, the mighty warrior, sends him on a mission to the favored planet, to earth, um, to break through. Because for 400 years, the way the book describes it, there's been sort of a brass sky in place. And, and the communication has been stifled, you know, between heaven and earth. And there's a prayer being prayed on earth that needs to get to the throne room of heaven. It's by a woman named Elizabeth. And so God sends Michael um, to, to break through the sky of brass. And it's, it just gets me pumped up, like totally pumped up every year when I read this story. And uh, Michael, like he breaks through and he, and he fights the enemy and he, and he opens up the door once again between heaven and earth. Just like it was always meant to be, like in the Garden of Eden. He opens up the door between heaven and earth and Elizabeth's prayer goes up to the throne room and um, the angel visits Elizabeth and visits Zechariah in the Holy of Holies and tells him he's going to have a son and you're going to name him John and he's going to prepare the way for the birth of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And then the angel appears to Mary and, and appears to Joseph. And that's the guy I want to talk about this morning. I just want to spend a few minutes looking at Joseph's story. And then, uh, and then we're going to um, conclude our time this morning with some worship together, and we're going to have communion, just like we started Advent as a church family. We're going to conclude our Advent time together with communion and worship and song, and then uh, we have some cookies and cocoa out in the lobby, and we're going to enjoy fellowship together as a church family. So let me pray, and let's dive into this. Lord, thank you for gathering us up in this place, in this moment in time, and uh, Lord, we, we, we just take our place with other believers all over this land and world, gathering right now, today, this week, in church buildings, in homes, orienting around the birth of this baby boy some 2,000 years ago that changed everything, that, that revealed the mystery of God in the flesh to the world. And fulfilled the purpose of God that's been in motion since the very beginning of time. We take our place in that story today. And we take our, our place in, in the worship of, of that baby boy, Jesus. So Lord, speak to us profoundly and deeply um, with these familiar stories and these familiar words. 
we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about Joseph. I borrowed this from uh, Carlos because we ran out of stands this morning. And he's got a cup holder here, which I really like now. So uh, you might see this thing up here most Sundays from now on because it's really cool. Joseph, okay? Joseph, you guys know who Joseph is. He's the guy in the nativity scene. When you look at most nativity scenes, you're not really sure which one's Joseph, right? Because he kind of, well, could be a shepherd. We're not sure if it's Joseph or a shepherd because he looks just like the other guys. You know who Mary is. She's always obvious in the nativity. You know who Jesus is. He's the little baby. You know, the wise men, you kind of figure out who they are because they always have camels with them, even though they weren't at the manger scene, you know. Um, but, and then you have the shepherds kind of photobombing everything. And, you, and Joseph gets lost. It's hard to tell who Joseph is. He's kind of this obscure character in the Christmas story. He's also the guy who knows what it's like to raise somebody else's kid, right? He, he, some of you can relate to this in a very real way. Like, he knows what it's like to raise someone else's kid. He, he, he's not the biological father of Jesus. I guess we would call him Jesus' adoptive father. Um, and you know what? Interestingly, we, we have no record of any words ever uttered by Joseph in the scriptures. There's no record of any words that, that, that I'm sure he spoke. I'm sure he talked. I'm sure like he did all that. But we have no record of anything that he said in the scriptures. Here's what we do know about him. He, he was from the house in the line of David. He lived in Nazareth, which was about 70 miles uh, from Jerusalem. We know that he was a carpenter. And uh, usually we think of someone who works with wood, which could have been, but it's probable he, he was a mason. He, he worked with stone. Maybe he was skilled in, in both trades and crafts. We know that he was engaged. He was engaged to a young woman named Mary. Now just to understand, in that culture, to be engaged or betrothed to someone, that was like almost as binding as an actual marriage. Um, there, would, there would be vows you know, sort of exchange, there would be a dowry, there would be a period of preparation, and then this big feast where the groom would go and, and would get his bride, and, and then, you know, the marriage would become official, but it, it, an engagement was basically just as binding as a marriage, meaning it required divorce to conclude it. So that's why, you know, when we read the story, it's going to say that he was engaged but he decided to divorce Mary. So that's some context of who Joseph is historically. Um, let's read his story uh, in, in the birth of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verses 18 through 25. If you're following along in Victory Point's Bible reading plan, you would have read this story on Thursday and maybe again over the weekend. So hopefully it's a familiar story. I'm sure it is because we hear this story often this time of year. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Can you imagine that conversation between Joseph and Mary when she shared the news? I mean, like, yeah, right, Mary. I mean, the Holy Spirit made you pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine Joseph, like, how crushed he must have been. I mean, this is a woman, I mean, I don't know, like, how, you know, I'm guessing it might have been an arranged marriage, but I'm also giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was really in love with this woman and really, like, like had lots of hopes and dreams for life with this woman. And then she shares this news. I mean, not only is his life sort of wrecked and crushed, I mean, it was a reputation ruiner for both of them. I mean, really, when you think about it, neither one of them asked for this. Okay, they didn't go looking for, to, to play this role in, in the birth of, of Jesus. And, and while Mary can't escape being pregnant, um, Joseph can. He can escape this situation. He can walk a, away. And apparently, that's what he had decided to do, to walk away. It's the, the scriptures, Matthew's account, tell us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a, he was a righteous man. He was faithful to the law. It was Joseph took the scriptures seriously. He tried his best to obey the scriptures. And so he wants to obey the scriptures in this matter. And so in following the law, he sort of had two options in this situation. He could divorce Mary openly and publicly and have public testimony be brought to bear against Mary, which would clear Joseph of any responsibility in the matter but would publicly disgrace Mary. And at the extreme in the law, she could even potentially you know, be put to death for this. Or, number two, Joseph could decide to just pursue a quiet divorce without a public trial. What that would do is that would probably save Mary some public shame, but it would also mean that Joseph would now shoulder some of the gossip. He would now shoulder some of the ridicule that was bound to happen and come as people would rightly doubt his integrity in this. Like, yeah, Joseph, yep, yep, we, we believe you. You know, so, so the text tells us that Joseph had decided on the latter. You know, he was a righteous man, but yet this also reveals he was a very compassionate man. And he decided, I'm just, just going to divorce Mary quietly, okay? Then he has this dream. I mean, I, I don't know, like, like sometimes I imagine like maybe, you know, like he, he, he fell asleep, like just like crushed and he, ha- and he has this plan formulating in his mind and then he has this dream. Now remember, God hasn't spoken in 400 years, okay? And he has this dream and in this dream, an angel appears to him and this angel says, stick with Mary, stick with Mary. I mean, I... I just am 
in awe. Like, like, how did he know this was God and not just like something he ate that night? You know, then he had a weird dream. You know, how, how does he know this was really an angel? How does he know this was really God speaking to him? But he, he has this dream and the angel says, stick with Mary. Now, here's the question I've been thinking about all week as I've thought about Joseph and his role in this story. Here's my question. What if Joseph had said no? What what if Joseph had said no? What if Joseph had said, I pass? I pass. A couple weeks ago, um, we had, uh, Tori and I had the, the staff and the elders and spouses all over to our house for dinner. And it was just an amazing night. I, we have such a great leadership team here at Victory Point. I feel so honored and humbled and blessed to just be part of that team. And, and we had the, such a fun night. We had a big family meal. We had tables set up in our living room. And um, we just had a good comfort meal and uh, fellowship. And then um, we played this game. We played this game. It's called Fishbowl. Brendan introduced me to this game years ago, and it's really simple. He just, everyone writes down two or three names or places or things, you know, a person, place, or thing, and you drop it into like a fishbowl, okay? And then you have two teams, and the goal is for each team to, to guess the most correctly. So in the first round, you, you try to describe what, you pull out a piece of paper, you try to describe what it is without using the word. The next round, you try to act it out without using any words. In the third round, you just say one word to try to get people to guess what's on your paper. Now, sometimes when you pull out a, a piece of paper, if, if, if you have no idea what to do, you could say, I pass, and you could just put it back into the bowl, okay? Some of them, like, it, w- it makes sense to me that you pass, because some of the things some of these people put in this fishbowl, I have no idea, like Brad Coning, I don't know if he's here, but I don't know how you would ever act out some of these things, so I'm glad some people passed on some of these, because that would have been very weird and awkward, but, but you, you get what I'm saying, you've played games like this where you have the option to pass, What if Joseph has this dream and he wakes up and says, I pass. I pass. No how, no way. I pass. I mean, think about this. His life just got wrecked. His fiance was pregnant with someone else's baby. She says it's God's. Then this angel shows up in this dream and he doesn't really fix anything for Joseph, does he? He just wrecks his life in a different way. Hey, don't, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This baby is from God. It's just like Isaiah prophesied so many years ago, the virgin will be with child. You know, no one would really blame Joseph, right? If he decided like, man, I pass. I pass on this. But verse 24, I just want to go back to that. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He didn't pass. It wasn't convenient. It was costly. It cost him lots of things. It cost him his reputation. But it was as simple as this for Joseph. God spoke, I'm going to obey. God told me to do something I'm going to do it. Joseph, the guy you can't pick out of a nativity scene, he was not this obscure, behind-the-scenes, background, 
um, you know, passive bystander in the Christmas story. Nor was he a passive bystander in the life of Jesus. Here's a man, Joseph of Nazareth, who, whose reputation was ruined. His life was wrecked. His rights rejected. Who responded in courage and thoughtfulness and extreme love and grace towards God and towards Mary. Joseph said yes. He said yes. He said yes to raising God's son. He taught God's son a trade, like you're supposed to, to a son in those days. He taught him to be a carpenter. You know what? We, 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 we don't think about this sometimes. Joseph, I'm guessing, must have taught Jesus the Torah, the, the, the first five books of the Bible. I mean, someone, I mean, I'm not one who believes that Jesus just as a baby had everything downloaded, you know. I mean, he's God, but he's man. And you remember that story when he was 12? We just had this little story when he's at the temple. I mean, Joseph was obviously a righteous man. He would take his family to the temple every year, even though it was costly and he was poor. He, it was, he was obedient and he took his family to the temple in Jerusalem every year. And one year when Jesus was 12 and the whole extended oikos and family were traveling and coming back, they realized that they left Jesus behind. I mean, you ever seen that movie Home Alone? I mean, they, they, they just, they left Jesus behind at the temple. And um, so they go back. It takes them a few days to figure it out and get back. And Jesus is there just, he's talking with the religious leaders. And they're amazed at his knowledge of the scriptures. And they're amazed at his grasp of the scriptures. Who taught him the scriptures? I mean, obviously, maybe some rabbis and some schooling. But Joseph did. Joseph taught Jesus the scriptures. Isn't that an ironic thing? Joseph taught Jesus the scriptures. And, and I mean, Joseph, in a real way, helped launch Jesus. Jesus, the result of this union between heaven and earth coming together, fully God, fully man. G- Joseph helped launch Jesus into his public ministry on a course of cosmic implications. Now, that's kind of the last we hear about Joseph. Like he, when you read about Jesus in his public ministry, you don't really read of Joseph. And, you know, most scholars believe that it's quite probable that Joseph had passed away and died by the time maybe Jesus got to his public ministry. But I've been thinking a lot about Joseph. I've been thinking a lot about Joseph this week. His obedience speaks to me. His obedience gets my attention and we have other records of his obedience because if you keep reading, you know, the Christmas story in, in the Gospels and Matthew and Luke specifically, you, you recognize or you read that um, this isn't the only time an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and he obeyed. Um, later on, uh, he, you know, he has another um, encounter with God in a dream. And in that one, Joseph is told to take Jesus and Mary and escape to Egypt. Because Herod's going to do some bad things to a bunch of babies. And so Joseph obeys. And then there's another time when God appears to Joseph again in a dream and says, Okay, it's time to resettle back in Nazareth. It's time to go back home. And Joseph obeys. I mean, Joseph is a man of obedience. And I think God knew what he was doing when he chose Joseph to be his son's earthly father. Because Joseph was, I, I get the sense, Joseph was a man who tried to be obedient in the everyday things of the scriptures. You know, he, 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 the, the law was important to him. He was faithful to the scriptures. 
And I think, you know, God knew that someone who's obedient in the everyday things is likely to be obedient in the big things. And I think that's a principle that's true for all of us. As we practice obedience in the everyday little things, that sets us up, you know, to be included and invited into the big things. And, and, and the other thing I, I guess I'll just say that I'm in awe of is I just love how God chooses to use us in what he's up to. How, how God, more often than not, chooses to use human partners in the fulfilling of his purpose in the revealing of his mystery and his plan. And, and you know what? We should not be surprised by that. I mean, it's his MO from the very beginning. When, when he created Adam and Eve before sin even entered the picture, um, God created this garden and he placed Adam and Eve in it and he tasked them with ruling and reigning and multiplying and subduing. He, he involved them and included them in, in the kingdom-bearing uh, in creation that's always been God's heart and design and desire and you see it, that thread all throughout scripture you see God partnering with people like Noah and, and people like Abraham and involving him in his grand plan and, and Moses and you know different kings and prophets and New Testament figures all the way up to today that's still God's plan but I but I think about that this week what if Joseph had said I pass what if he'd said, I pass? I, I, like, would we be here right now? Like gathered around the Christmas story? I mean, would it have gone? Would it would have still have happened? I don't know. I think so. I think so because God is God and God will always accomplish his purposes. But Joseph's story, here's what it does. It reminds me of this. You never know what God might be involving you in when he invites, commands you to do something. You never know what God might be including you in um, when he invites you into something. Which makes me wonder. I wonder what blessings or breakthroughs have I missed out on or have others not received because sometimes I say to God, I pass. I do. Sometimes I, I have a sense God is prompting me, nudging me, inviting me, commanding me, you know, to do something, and I pass. Well, someone else will do that. Someone else will talk to that person. Someone else will share Jesus with that person. Um, isn't it sad how we do that? And that got me thinking. I don't know if this is going to work, but that never stops me. Um, you know the game Euchre, right? Like most of us, like, you know, College kids, you know, back in my day, I mean, that, that was the game. We, we played euchre. I mean, it, I think it's kind of a more of a Midwest thing I discovered, but, and it's hard to spell. But, but euchre is this, this four-person card game that college kids and, and even adults love to play. I don't think college kids today play it. They probably play Minecraft or something like that. But, but euchre is this card game where also you have the option to pass, right? You have the option to, to pass. You also have the option to go loner to go all in you know because you have the cards you need to 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 achieve victory you don't even need your partner but most of the time euchre is a game where you have to rely on and depend on your partner to contribute something for the accomplishment of your goal now I think 
not think, I believe and I know there are things that God does and will do no matter what. Because God is just all in. He has everything he needs in his hand to accomplish his purposes. I I think God works that way, you know, quite a bit. But I also see God, as I read the scriptures, he's always, you know, trying. And and I think he loves it. when when his partners contribute. I I think, you know, he seems to invite and include and count on his human partners quite a bit in the accomplishment of his purposes and the bringing of his kingdom in this world. So here's my question. How do you know which is which? How do you know when God's just all in? I don't need to do anything. He's got this. And how do I know when God's like, man, here's what I want to do. I need... I need you to help me with this. I need you to be involved in this. I need you to say something. I need you to do something. How do I know which is which? I don't know. I don't know. So I think the wise course of action is this. When God prompts, when God nudges, when God shows up in a dream, when God speaks through the scriptures that are, that are his words to us, and when God speaks through others or other events, when God speaks... Never pass, always say yes. I think that's a good rule of thumb to live by, and that always sets you up um, to, to be involved in what God wants to accomplish and do in us and through us. Like Joseph, like Mary, because you never know. You never know when God is setting in motion something of cosmic consequences, and you don't want to miss out on that. Obedience always brings the kingdom of God. Obedience always brings heaven to earth. I mean, in this story, literally, it brought heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. I, I had this, you know, this experience Friday. I, I was doing some lift driving, which you know I, I sometimes do, because uh, I just like to meet people outside the church, and I'm not very good at that unless I'm intentional about that. So being a Lyft driver just a couple times a month is my way of being intentional to meet people who aren't you, who aren't the, the church people, who aren't the people I interact with mostly in my life. I love you guys, love interacting with you, but um, I also like it's good for me to, to interact with other people. So I was doing some Lyft driving on Friday. And I was in Grand Rapids, and I, um, one of my passengers was a, a 22-year-old young woman, and, and, and she was very talkative, and I think I'm pretty good at getting people to talk. I'm, I'm very sensitive when I know they don't want to talk. I don't press anything, but um, she just starts sharing her story and, and shared how she grew up in Flint and grew up in a really hard environment and home, and she said, I, I've seen and experienced and been involved in things no 22-year-old should, should have in her memory bank. And um, she made a move to Grand Rapids, kind of has no connection anymore with her family and her friends back there. She's living by herself. And uh, I, she, she just had like some, some knee problems. And I was taking her to two stops. We went to McDonald's to get some food. And then I was taking her to work where she was hoping, you know, she can re-engage with work. She, she works at a hospital. And um, all along as she's talking, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit nudging and prompting like, you know, talk to her about me. And I'm like, no, no, like, someone else will. I'm like, hey, do you go to church? You know, because maybe the church people will, will talk to her about Jesus. 
you know, and like, like even as a pastor, I just want you to know it doesn't, it doesn't always come easy. And I'm, I get self-conscious and like, you know, I overthink it. And I'm like having this internal wrestling match with God. He's prompting me to do something. I'm wanting to say I pass. I, I'm just going to be nice. And I'm going to, but then like I, I, I found the courage to just step into what I felt like God was saying. And I started talking to her about God. And we started talking about how do you know when God's speaking to you. And um, started talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, got to just um, commit to prayer for her. And, And it was just a really, this little tiny moment where I felt like heaven came to earth in just a tangible, personal way. And, and we were both blessed by it. And I would have missed it and she would have missed it if I hadn't been obedient. I'm just saying, whether it's a big thing like the birth of, of Jesus or it's a, a small thing like a conversation in a car with a stranger, whenever we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we in somehow, some way, we bring heaven to earth. We bring the kingdom to bear. Joseph's acceptance, his obedience, brought, contributed to bringing heaven to earth in a very profound, literal way. And I'm just wondering this morning, is there something that God is asking you or he's been telling you to do that you've been ignoring or that you've been saying, I pass? Like, just reflect on that for a moment. Is there something like that going on in your life? And what would it look like to take a step of obedience this week? You know, the, the NIV, the, I, I read from the NIV Bible, uh, that, that story we read this morning, it's titled this in the NIV, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. That's how the NIV, you know, um, composers kind of title that section, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Maybe for some of you here this morning, that's your prompting, your nudging, your invitation from the Lord this morning. He's invite, God's inviting you to accept Jesus as his son into your life, into your home. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's your step of obedience. You've been, you've been saying, I pass. You know, you've been putting the note back in the fishbowl, like I pass. What if you didn't pass this morning? What if you stepped into that? What if you accept that? It's as simple as just in your heart, in your prayer, just acknowledging like, like Lord, Take my life and I receive your life. And I want to live for you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord. Maybe that's what it is for you this morning. Or or maybe um, we were praying about this this morning. Uh, You know, maybe for you it might be this. Like most of us have had and are about to move into a bunch of Christmas parties this week. And and for, for most of us, I'm guessing that's a really fun, cool, awesome thing. But let's also remember that's not the case for many people or for some people. Um, Christmas is sort of this weird, awesome, unique time when, when like all the chaos and the tension and the dysfunction all gets around the table at the same time. And, and it, it can be awesome and it can be like really weird and sometimes stressful and awkward. And, and, and maybe you're aware of someone who's going to be gathered around the table, you know, uh, who, who's experiencing some loss. And this is going to be kind of hard. Or maybe there's um, the, the, the relative or the friend that you have some, some tension with. Or you have some weird feelings about. Like what would it look like to bring heaven to earth this Christmas in those moments and in those situations and in those gatherings and in those parties? Maybe it's a neighbor 
Maybe it's a neighbor who just is kind of lonely or lost or not connected. And you know what? Next Sunday morning, um, you're not going to come here. Maybe you're going to be at home. Maybe you're going to make some pancakes. But what if you invited like, that neighbor over? Maybe they would never come here with you, but maybe they'd come into your home. And, and you could just bring heaven to earth to bear in their lives. And you can be Emmanuel, you know, Jesus incarnate in the flesh in their lives. I don't know what it is for you, but um, I'm just wondering, is there something in your life you've been playing the past card on that it's time to stop passing and time to start obeying? Because obedience always brings the kingdom in, in heaven to earth. I want to invite the band up, and uh, we're going to move into just a, a time of of just focus on, on Jesus. I mean, like I hope we were inspired by Joseph's story this morning, but let's end our time focusing on Jesus, the, the, the one that we appropriately and rightly should center on. He's the true hero in every story. So I just want to, uh, I'm just going to read some scriptures this morning. I'm just going to read some scriptures. We're going to light the Jesus candle And then uh, we're going to move into a time of communion and worship to conclude our time together. So Matthew, Matthew 1.23, just remind us of these words from the angel to Joseph. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I'm going to light this final candle of our Advent wreath this morning. We call this middle candle the Jesus candle. And may this flame just be a tangible reminder to us this morning that he really is Emmanuel. He really is God with us. In Luke's gospel, hear these familiar words. He, talking about Joseph, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds. They were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. John These are words that uh, Jesse and Katie and and the girls shared with us this morning. These, These words from John. John says it this way. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world.
And Paul describes Jesus this way in Colossians. Says the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in that little baby. And through him, as he grew up and went to the cross, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shared on a cross. I'm going to invite Brendan up. He's going to lead us into a time of communion and worship. It's a great scripture.